Hi, this is Pastor Rob Stone from Duns Creek Baptist Church, and you are listening to Duns Creek Conversations, a weekly podcast about faith, growth, discovery, and the journey that God is taking each and every one of us on. Today on the podcast, we are joined by Next Steps Pastor here at Duns Creek Baptist Church, Zach Keller. Zach originally came to Duns Creek three years ago as the co-worship leader, and he has been exploring his call to ministry, and last year we were able to take him through the process of becoming ordained into gospel ministry, and this year he has stepped into a brand new role as Next Steps Pastor. I hope that you enjoy my conversation with him today, so let's go ahead and jump right into it. It's good to be here with you today, Zach. Uh, we are in the second year, second season of Duns Creek Conversations, and uh, last year um, we talked to another one of our pastoral staff members, Jake Massey, who is our worship pastor, and you were co-worship leading with him last year, but yep. here we are, beginning of 2019, and you have had kind of a roller coaster of things that you stepped into over the last six months, and you're in a brand new role now. You are our next steps pastor at Duns Creek Baptist Church. So we are interviewing, uh, we're interviewing a a, a Homer, uh, interviewing one of our one of our staff members for the podcast this week. Um, so we're excited about that. But this is really an opportunity, I feel like, for the church and for our listeners to kind of get to know you. So Zach, what is what's your story? Where are you from? And tell us a little bit about how you got uh, where you're from to Putnam County, Florida. What's what's the road that takes you from where you were born to Putnam County, Florida? And then we'll kind of go back and talk about your faith background and faith experience and how ultimately God has called you into this new role. Yeah. Um, so I guess that it, it's, it's worth noting that... Um, Part of who I am, one of the many hats I wear, many hats. Uh, one of the many hats that I wear is is I'm an attorney mm-hmm. in, in the state of Florida. We're here in your law office right now. That's right, and so Keller Legal. So the, the the truth of the matter is, is that it's it's hard for me to give a, a simple answer to a question like that because when someone asks you, you know, where you're from, um, for me, I feel like uh, it's kind of a mixed bag because uh, I have lived in Florida now. Uh, longer than I have, th- longer than I lived in my home state. I'm originally from St. Louis, Missouri, mm-hmm. and I lived there until I was uh, about 13. Uh, and then my parents uh, moved us down to St. Augustine, Florida. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, ultimately, what brought us to Florida was the fact that uh, my parents had a 33 foot sailboat, um, and uh, we wanted to go move someplace where my mom and I wouldn't have to be on the bow of the boat chopping ice. Whenever we wanted to go sailing, because would you, would you, did you really have to do that? Like, did you have absolutely. to chop ice in order to go sailing? Um, I mean, not all year round, but certainly in the winter time. Yeah, actually, there was a there was a period in the winter where uh, the entire marina would freeze over, and so in preparation for that, there's like this whole uh, system that you have to do. And Dad and I would have to go and winterize the boat, and we'd have to actually put these little devices in the water around the boat called bubblers. And all they do is they just move the water because the moving water won't freeze solid like the the still water around it. And so, uh, for a good, you know, month, two months out of the year, we would go check on the boat to make sure that, you know, nothing had, uh, gone wrong, but the, the boat would be sitting in this little oval of moving water from these bubblers. And then it would be solid ice around that for 
100, 200 yards in, into the middle of the lake where we kept our boat. So there was no getting out for, for a good part of the year. So you could you could get on your sailboat and then ultimately, if you wanted to, throw in ice skates and go play hockey on in in the marina around the boat. So um, we never we never did that. Um, where we lived in St. Louis, we had um, um, actually we kept our boat in Illinois, um, but the temperature swing in St. Louis is one of the greatest temperature swings in the national average. So we have one of the hottest summers, which would average temperatures 104, 106 actual temperature. Wow. And then we would have winters that would be sometimes, you know, uh, as cold as, uh, you know, uh, 10 below actual temperature. So um, it, it was such a swing that uh, you never knew what the weather was going to do, but it was probably not going to be pleasant for most of the year. Wow. So my, that's what ultimately what brought us to Florida was looking for uh, nicer weather that we could be actually enjoy the outdoors and, and uh, enjoy the the climate a little better. So you were 13 when you moved to St. Augustine, Florida. That's from, right from St. Louis, Missouri. Yep. Um, Which is quite the change. Yeah. Uh, um, uh, I distinctly remember the first time I saw the ocean, and I was like, it just never ends. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, it's just, it's, just, you know, you can, you can know something in your head, but until you actually experience it for the first time and you're like, wow, I can, I can actually see like horizon, horizon, as far as the eye can see is just water. It's just a, a, remarkable because it's not like a lake where it has a easily defined edges. Mm. It's, you know, it's interesting, you know, thinking now about this role that you're in, even as I hear you talk about that, I, I immediately start thinking about all of these you know, kind of great sermon analogies and sermon metaphors that God has given you in your in your life. So, I mean, that, that thing of hearing about the ocean and then seeing it, that, mm. that difference between knowing about something and then experiencing it. Sure. Um, so you, at 13, moved to St. Augustine, Florida. Uh, you're a teenager, um, brand new community. You don't know anyone. What is that experience like? So honestly, um, I believe that, um, you know, honestly, the path to my current role probably started from just those difficult kind of teenage years uh, in a new town where you don't have established core of friends. Um, and the reality is, is that uh, my parents, we moved to, to St. Augustine, Florida because of, you know, my mom's job. She, she found a job sooner than my dad because my dad was a firefighter and none of his licenses would transfer to Florida. My mom worked in IT, so it was a little easier for her to find a job. And uh, not knowing anything about the area, um, my parents thought it was a good idea to kind of move into an apartment and rent someplace for a little while, kind of get the lay of the land, figure out, you know, where they wanted to actually, you know, buy a house and put down roots. Um, and so for the first couple years that we were lived in Florida, um, I was going to St. Augustine High School, um, didn't have any friends. Uh, all my friends were, you know, over a thousand miles away. Mm. Um, and so that, that was, it was kind of a challenge for me. Um, but the biggest blessing that I can see God was working in the whole thing was that there was a group of college age guys that moved into the apartment, um, that, well, it's next door, but the way that the apartments were structured, our apartment was on the first floor. And so the next door actually took a staircase up. And so they actually lived over the top of us. And so those guys, um, were, uh, Sean Onchman, Aaron Kelso, 
Um, uh, Ryan Rapero was in and out of there for a while and a really good group of guys over in St. Augustine. And for whatever reason, Sean Onchman took a liking to this 15 year old, you know, 13 year old kid that, you know, had, he had seen pushing around a skateboard out in the parking lot of the apartment complex. And so he really kind of took me under his wing and I, I went everywhere they went. I did everything that they did. So, um, we skated at Treaty Park together, um, you know, Aaron Kelso helped me kind of learn, you know, basic chord structure on the guitar. And Sean Onchman really kind of brought me into the fold of like, you know, contemporary worship music and how what that looks like. Um, and that was kind of happening the same time that my parents uh, and I started going to Anastasia Baptist on the island and seeing uh, Bobby Crumb doing contemporary worship music on a weekly basis. So all of those kind of things, that's kind of what, you know, that's where the seeds kind of started was, you know, I didn't have a whole group of friends that I was hanging out with on my own. Mm -hmm. Um, Certainly being under the driving age, it's not like I could even, you know, really make friends at school and then go hang out with them outside. Um, And my father and mother, you know, they were, they were engrossed in trying to get their careers basically restarted. And so they didn't have a lot of abundant time to like take me places. And you're, you're an only child, so I'm an only not, child. Not a sibling here or anything. Nope, nope. So it really was, you know, my, um, you know, my kind of teenage hijinks were, you know, pushing a skateboard around the apartment community and um, spending time at the pool. I remember the first year that we lived here, uh, I went swimming at, at the community pool every day just because I could, and I thought that was so awesome. Um, <laughs> you know, it's funny you get acclimated. Now I wouldn't do that. Now I'm like, ah, I'll wait till it gets warmer. Yeah. Uh, but that first year, I definitely went every day just because I could and just to say that I did. Um, because in Missouri, we would wait months just to be able to go swimming in the water and the water would be, you know, in like the high 60s. So it wasn't even pleasant, <laughs> but wow. that was the first opportunity to, you know, to go swimming up there. It was a big deal. It's so, it's so cool that, so this, this older group of guys in it, it's interesting because, you know, I'm, I'm older than you, but that group of guys that you met as college students are guys that I know. Mm-hmm. And so it's interesting I think I've always associated you with their age group. Yeah. Um, but you really were. I mean, you were, you know, five, six years younger than this group of guys uh, that, I mean, that suddenly you were hanging out with all the time. But I there's mean, there's a huge benefit that comes with that, too. Yeah. I mean, I distinctly remember. And, and like I said, for whatever reason, I got close-knit with those guys right off the bat and really got invested um, with them. And, and they let me come around. And uh, I distinctly remember, I mean... You know, like I said, we moved here when I was 13, but um, Sean Onchman, uh, right along with my parents, Sean Onchman taught me how to drive. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so mom and dad would teach me how to, you know, how to, you know, start and stop in a manual transmission and, you know, keep it below the speed limit. And then uh, Sean Onchman would teach me, you know, you know how to uh, 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 do more sporty endeavors in the vehicle. That's, that's, a very, that's a very lawyer way of putting that. Like, you know, there's there's not not a mention of any laws broken, just a, a sportier way it was, it's, of, it, of driving. It was a sportier way of driving. You know, some might come, you know, every now and again, you would find another young individual uh, in a particular vehicle that appeared like it, you know, could be sporty. And, uh, you know, Sean definitely, you know, encouraged and facilitated uh, comparative driving, you know, between myself and the other individual. <laughs> Um, but, uh, you know, wow. that whole, uh, you know, what a, what a way with language, but I distinctly remember that, uh, you know, he was, he was helping to teach me drive and I was 15 at the time with a learner's permit and, uh, he was 21. Yeah. So, you know, that, that 
you know, really kind of frames out kind of the age difference between us. And, you know, uh, six years now in, in, you know, in, in your thirties, not such a big deal, but for a 21 year old and a 15 year old to be hanging out together, that's, you know, it's kind of different. And I also think that it, you know, not only, uh, was it a good experience for me, but I think it speaks volume about like the character of the guys that I was hanging out with that my parents, uh, felt comfortable enough for their 15-year-old son to be hanging out with these 21-year-olds because they weren't they weren't doing anything that were going to be dangerous or getting me in trouble and they they had they had enough faith in them that um, that we, we might we might have fun with you know our comparative driving from time to time but we weren't going to you know do anything uh, that was going to get us in any major trouble mm. so it so you you I mean really make it through high school with with this good group of friends mm-hmm. um, who who are all older than you and and yep. really um, one, one could argue one of the realities of being an old, an only child is that you end up being an older child in many ways, meaning that sure. most of the time you spend hanging around other adults because there's not siblings and not other children. So you, you in many ways become older than your age. And that, and that was certainly true of you. Um, you did, did well in high school, ace graduate, um, you got into a prestigious honors college. Um, at Florida Atlantic University. Yeah, I um, so I, I don't, um, you know, prestige uh, doesn't really matter a whole lot to me. So I, I don't really know as far as you know, kind of rankings. You know, if uh, if the Harriet O. Wilkes Honors College you know ranks up there as like a prestigious school, um, but. Uh, I didn't have any difficulty getting into the college that I wanted to. If memory serves, I think I only applied to one college um, because uh, they they had uh, done a campus site visit um, through the ACE program. One of our uh, former ACE graduates came back and was speaking in the high school and um, talking to us about the school. And then I went and visited that school uh, in Jupiter. And I said, that, I don't need to look anywhere else. That's, that's, that's where I want to go. And and I, I was sold on it, so that's the only place I applied, and in, in, I didn't have any difficulty getting in. Um, it was really unique, um, really unique atmosphere in the Honors College. They, they limited, it's, it's a division of Florida Atlantic University, which is based out of Boca Raton, but the Jupiter campus is limited to only 500 students. And part of the requirement was that as a freshman, you were required to live on campus Mm -hmm. and for everyone else, it was highly encouraged. And so basically you had at any given point in time, you know, I think we had three to 400 students on, on the entire campus, you know, between freshmen and, you know, and, you know, people that are getting ready to graduate with their bachelor's degrees. And, it just made a really interesting kind of collaborative kind of, uh, you know, atmosphere. Mm -hmm. Uh, all of the professors knew all of the, all of the, um, students. And I think that that's really key. Um, I've really enjoyed that because, um, you weren't pigeonholed, you know, where, well, you're, you're, uh, going to be going to law school. So these are the the professors that you're going to see and you're not going to see any other professors. It wasn't like that. Um, you know, certainly I, I saw those professors, but, I could equally have conversations with and did and enjoyed conversations with those that were, you know, working in the hard sciences that were, you know, teaching, you know, pre-med students on um, doing cancer research. Um, the The Honors College has a, a partnership with uh, a, a uh, I believe it's called Scripps, or it used to be called Scripps, but it was a... Um, 
basically there was a a functioning lab full of grad students Hmm. um, that was on just an adjacent piece of property and they would do internships with the students out of the honors college and so a lot of times during you know college rec rec life or you know like playing ultimate frisbee or things of that nature we got to hang out with people that are doing you know uh, doctrinal research in you know cancer research trying to prevent those or trying to look for the, the you know the next greatest um, you know pharmaceutical that's going to, to help alleviate you know whatever you, you name it they were working on it and when and when that's your surroundings when those are the people that you're in community with yeah it can't help but I mean you 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 will rise to the level of your community of your support and and you're in this um, and you and your wife both. So, yeah, <clears throat> you and Aaron had started dating in high school. Yep, and then both both went away to to this honors college. Yep, um, and, and so you're both having this experience of your relationships growing. You, you kind of getting this sense of hey, this is this is the one. You know, eventually you kind of get to this point of hey, we're, we're going to get married eventually. Mm. Um, but you're also both getting the blessing of of this kind of experience where so much you're being exposed to and there's so much kind of going around going on around you that you just begin to think differently i mean the what you're exposed to and, and how you process information begins to change and, and grow to really meet the environment you're in yeah in in my opinion um i certainly think that uh, my my bachelor's degree is was a unique learning experience i don't know that the the person that normally goes to university experiences it. But, um, you know, my senior year of college, um, right before graduation, I had satisfied most of my, you know, almost all of my requirements to graduate. And so I, you know, um, that, you know, there was, there was a semester where I took, um, uh, Arabic as a, as a a language elective. Um, (laughs) I was taking, um, multiple uh, philosophy classes because that was kind of the path that I took to get to law school was uh, uh, what was called interdisciplinary philosophy. And so um, I would come from, you know, philosophy classes where I would be um, debating uh, the finer points of Immanuel Kant and, you know, and then, um, or Hume, and then I would be transitioning to Arabic. And then I had a course that I took in ancient Egyptian hieroglyphics. I mean, it, it was it was like the quintessential like mixed bag like mm-hmm. uh, of interesting things. But um, which yeah. is right up your alley. Yeah, for, it, for anyone it, who absolutely. knows you, it, the the there is there is a a passion. I want to learn more. I want more experiences. I want to learn to do more things. You are the person who kind of collects hobbies. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, You know, it it was um, at some point uh, when I was in college, or maybe it was when I was first in law school, I saw uh, a TED Talk presentation that really just just kind of was me in like a 15 minute presentation. It was talking about, um, they were talking about the, the length of time that it takes to master something. You know, it was the, 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 you know, proverbial 10,000 hours, you know, it takes 10,000 hours to become a master pianist, you know, uh, or to master the piano. Um, but the Ted talk wasn't talking about the 10,000 hours. The Ted talk was talking about how many hours does it take to become reasonably proficient at something? So if it takes 10,000 hours to get 99.9% proficient, how many hours does it take to get 75 or 80% proficient? 
And what was really fascinating is that uh, the speaker in that TED Talk uh, settled on a number of 20 hours. Based on his research, if you gave 20 hours of dedicated study, you could become reasonably proficient at anything that you wanted. And um, and so when I first, when I saw that, um, I, I was really excited by it, motivated by it. And I've really, um, I've just decided that, you know, my hobby, um, uh, I have lots of things that I do, mm-hmm. but I would say that my hobby is really applying that 20 hours concept to as many things as I possibly can. Um, I want to be as, you know, I want to be the Zach of all trades, so to speak. You know, (laughs) I want to, I want to be, I want to be able to do as many things as I possibly can and be reasonably proficient at them. And so, yeah, you know, whether it be photography or whether it be, um, you know, blacksmithing or scuba diving or piloting airplanes or pottery, or guitar, pottery building. guitar building, you know, um, you know, I want to be equally proficient with the soldering iron, modding a guitar pedal, uh, as I am, you know, riding a motorcycle, um, comparative driving, uh, or, or flying airplanes. It's just, you know, um, it's just fascinating to me. There's, there's so much good stuff out there and, and I, it, you know, uh, you know, in, in my opinion, it would be, it, it wouldn't be maximizing the potential if I just, you know, um, just slept all the time. Like, I don't know what I would do if I wasn't constantly mm-hmm. trying to learn something new. Yeah. Is there, you know, um, for, for our listeners, um, one of our episodes this season on Duns Creek Conversations has, has been a conversation that um, Meg and I and our friends Troy and Karina Aragon Buchanan had about the Enneagram. Enneagram is a personality type, and you and I doing these next steps classes at church have, sure. have talked through some of this. And one of the things that um, Meg and I going through reading kind of these Enneagram books have talked about is kind of pinpointing, you know, hey, wh- these people who are close to us in our lives, where, where are they? And kind of immediately, both my wife and I going, yeah, Zach, Zach is clearly a five. And one of the things that that my wife talks about about the Enneagram is because she's also a five. I'm married to a five. And talking about the idea of not necessarily fear or introversion, but just that thing of going, if if you're going to engage in something, if you're going to speak about something, you want to have confidence that you that you know what you're doing. Mm. And it's it's interesting hearing you talk about this kind of constant pursuit of I want to I want to be proficient in as many things as possible. Mm-hmm. Yep. Talk to me a little bit about the is there is there for you a comfort that comes with that? Is there is there is there a sense of security, a sense of it kind of everything is as it should be? The more things you feel like you are proficient at, the more things that you feel confident that you know how to do, that you can kind of that you understand those things and the inner workings of them in your head. Yeah, I definitely think there's a correlation between kind of, um, uh, I would, I would have to say that somewhere deep down in my subconscious, like one of my like root fears is probably being unprepared. Mm. And, and so part of me getting comfortable with, you know, the way that I function in life is, is this pursuit of learning things because, uh, if I've if I've gotten reasonably pr- proficient as many things as I can, uh, and I'm not saying I'm perfect at them, but if I've gotten reasonably proficient at them, then it allows me to feel more comfortable that I can roll with the punches when something comes up that I wasn't expecting. Yeah. 
I can, I can, I can, I can move it back into something that is my comfort zone, or I, I'm well suited to manage it in, in a way that is um, not that just kind of gobsmacked. You know, oh no, what am I going to do now? Mm-hmm. This is I had no explanation, you know, expectation that this would happen. How do I, where do I go from here? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just having, you know, the way that I look at it is, um, you know, the hobbies as you call them, or or the you know the skills, the things that I, um, I try to try to find in my downtime, um, to me, those are all like tools in a toolbox. You know, I may not be using all of them all the time, but when something breaks, I can go to my toolbox and probably find something that's going to help me get it figured out. And quite literally, I mean, just within the last 30 minutes, we had, we had this conversation about you kind of being prepared for anything because we, we, we needed something for the audio equipment for the recording of this podcast. And (laughs) and you just happen to have it in your car, just ready to go prepared. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and, and 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 to be clear, the thing that the thing that we needed was uh, um, this little uh, magnetic device called ferrites that you know pre- pre- prevent grounding interference. So, th- you know, this is something that is uh, not normal to have, and and I immediately was like, oh yeah, I think I've got a box of them here. I've got them out in the car. Sure enough, yeah. Um, yeah. So so, but I, but I can certainly see that, and also because of that, it, you know, it, look in the event of the zombie apocalypse, Zach is a guy you want to have around. You, you you want to find out what Zach's plan is? What is Zach Keller going to do? That that's probably a good guy to stick with. He's got a, a wide enough base that that he's probably prepared for kind of whatever comes his way. Yeah, I'm not. I I don't believe I'm a specialist in anything, but man, a multi tool is really useful in a great many you know situations. And so that's that's kind of my lot in life is is you know I try the to, Swiss I try, Army li- the Swiss Army I try knife to of yeah I try to be the multi tool. <laughs> well, so you have this incredible college experience, which really kind of births in you, uh, or or maybe maybe directs an existing kind of uh, emphasis that you already have this emphasis of of learning and preparation. And this experience you have in college and being exposed to so much really helps direct this kind of intentionality that's that's really become such a big part of your life. And yet you finish your undergraduate degree and make the decision, going back to Northeast Florida, I'm going to go to Florida Coastal School of Law in Jacksonville. Um, and a lot of people, even smart people, people that did well in undergrad, a lot of people struggle mm. with with law school and not not to say it was easy for you but you you seem to get a hold on what you needed to do very quickly so i will say um law school in my opinion is almost the complete opposite of everything that was good about my undergrad experience Mm -hmm. um law school is is not nice it is not friendly there's um where there's this Huge degree of competition what where there's where there's a free flow of information and sharing of notes and trying to help one another um, and collaborating um, in undergrad law school is exactly the opposite everything is graded on such a harsh curve that um, the curve is set by the Florida bar there there will never be more than you know two A's in any class out of 160 people because Anything more than that means that they're going to have to have, you know, three people that are failing the class. And so everything is is set on a curve and and everything is is not graded based on how much, you know, it's really based on how much, you know, compared to everyone else. Mm. 
And so anything that anyone can do to get an edge, they're going to do. I mean, um, I don't, I don't know that I've ever seen it, uh, myself, but you know, there were rumors that, uh, during, you know, final exam periods, people would like hook up electromagnets to car batteries and put them in a backpack and walk through the library just because if that electromagnet slated someone's hard drive, then they just lost all their study materials and all their notes and that they presumably wouldn't do very well on the exam, thereby making the person with the electromagnet that much better. Mm. I mean, so the, the, the law school experience was just, you know, completely the opposite where, you know, there was a free flow of exchange of ideas in the undergrad community, the honors college, uh, law school was exactly the opposite. You know, I, I just, in my opinion, I put my head down, I got through it. Mm. You know, it was just, um, I'm here for a purpose. I believe in, in, in that this is the right thing for me. So, um, went to school, came home, studied, uh, rarely, if ever, did I study at the school. I had no de- had no need nor any desire to study with anyone else, um, just because, quite honestly, you never knew if the person that you were studying with was intentionally feeding you things that they knew were false, mm. just so that you would commit it to memory and they would do better. Yeah. So it really becomes so you you went from this incredibly collaborative, team building, friendship building environment to this yep. very cutthroat institution that becomes incredibly isolating. Right. And right. and that's 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 hard for that's hard for everyone. It's hard for a lot of people. But during that period of time where there was a lot of work, ton of studying, all of that going on, you and Aaron also had kind of decided, I think we're ready to get married. Yeah, we, yeah, we got married between uh, my first and second semester of law school. So, just after I had completed my first round of finals, um, in uh, the one L year, which the the one L year is um, probably the most challenging because I feel like that's when they intentionally try to weed out as many people as they can. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, in in the middle of that is when we decided that we were going to go ahead and get married and. Um, I think that that was a good thing. I had, by my, by my account, I had kind of put off us getting married for for quite a while because I had, you know, I was con, you know, convinced that you know this was uh, going to be my wife, and um, we were convinced that we were going to be together. So it was a matter of waiting until it was the opportune uh, time where where we could justify it, you know, f- you know, for you know, for friends and family, I guess. But it is interesting. It's almost it's almost like there was this sense in you of a checklist of of I I know this is the person I want to marry, but also I know I want to do this and have this career, and and, and it's almost like one of those things of like, well, I have to get through A, B, C, and D first. Hmm. And, yeah. And, and 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 but then ultimately that first year of law school, you guys get married, and and so what was your first two and a half years of marriage like? As you're a law student. In, in also learning to be, I mean, obviously you guys had been together for years up to this point, but still it's first year, two and a half years of marriage. You're, you're in law school, she's working. You guys are trying to figure out what it's like to be married. And, and here you are also, you know, all of these other stressors in your life simultaneously. Is, is, is that one of those things where you kind of look back on and you're like, wow, God was just so gracious to us that we survived <laughs> those first years. You know, um, I mean, I, I believe that God's been gracious to us all along. So I, I certainly wouldn't want to downplay that, but, um, but the, you know, the honest truth is, is it, 
in my mind, it wasn't any any more stressful. It wasn't a particularly stressful, uh, at least relationship wise between between her and I. I don't see that as being a difficult time. Um, certainly, there were some things that I had to you know adjust to. Um, you know, in college, I was you know I would be up you know, sometimes 24 hours straight and just, you know, studying because that's the way that I would work is, um, you know, I would kind of procrastinate until the end and then I would just take care of, you know, all of my projects in one night. Um, law school, uh, I was very diligent and I was like, you know, that, that, that methodology won't work here. I need to be more structured and this is how I'm going to study and this is how I'm going to do this. And, um, that, so the same time that, um, that we were getting married, she was, she was working at, um, Bank of America at the time. So she was having, you know, bankers hours. And so, um, I don't know that it was a stressful or a difficult thing, but it was the, you know, kind of realities. Like if I wanted to, if I wanted to communicate with her, then I probably needed to be sleeping when she was sleeping and awake when she was awake. Um, which even though I was not working at the time, cause the Florida bar, they, they won't let you work your first year without you know, like demonstrating hardship. And then your second and third year, it's extremely discouraged, um, just because of the the workload, and so that was a that was the only period in my life where I was not working. I mean, you know, ever since I was you know, fourteen, fifteen years old, I, I have you know, had a job. So um, that was the strangest kind of uh, part of it was not working. But I would say you know I wouldn't say that there was any sort of you know difficulty with our relationship. I feel like honestly, um, it was probably you know you know, very healthy and and it probably helped me get on a, on a, on a schedule that was going to be, you know, ultimately setting me up for success. You know, Mm -hmm. um, you don't see, um, it's very hard to be at the top of your game mentally whenever you have been up the entirety of the night before, you know, that's just not a healthy kind of mindset when you're, you're getting to that level of work. And so, uh, I think, you know, you know, being married at that point in time, being on a kind of a set schedule with someone else, I think it really just kind of helped kind of keep me on a, mm-hmm. on a track for success really more than anything else. Um, as far as the checklist goes, like, yeah, we, um, we had discussed it, um, you know, early on, I, I was convinced that I was going to law school from the time that I was about a sophomore in high school. Um, so everything that I did was, was working towards that, you know, it was, okay, well, the first step is I need to get into a, you know, a school that, that'll set me up so that I can go to law school. Um, so that was, that was always part of the trajectory mm. and, and certainly she was, she was aware of it and supported it. Yeah. So let me go back. Um, let, let's go back now to, uh, that first move to St. Augustine. Mm-hmm in your early teenage years and you get plugged in to Anastasia Baptist church and, and you had, you had, had really had a, a, a what I would call a, a kind of child conversion or, or a, a child, child salvation early in your life where, um, your mom who was diligent in, um, uh, making sure that you guys were reading the Bible together um, most nights and you know there was there was really a, a salvation conversation that that occurred with with you and your mom um, but but Anastasia at this point when you moved to Florida it really became the first point for you where as a family um, you really got plugged into a church where, where it became it became a, a real consistent and not just attending a service but being deep and involved into kind of the life of of the church and what was what was that experience like as a teenager, kind of first getting plugged into the life of a church? So, um, 
Well, with respect to like the, you know, the, the childhood, you know, um, certainly I had an upbringing where I was, you know, reading the Bible with, with my mom and we were, we were, you know, talking about some of these things. And, and at that point, um, at that point in my life, you know, I was reading and I was, uh, recollecting these, you know, um, stories at that point, you know, you know, essentially I viewed the Bible as, you know, a collection of stories and, and it had some importance, but I didn't fully understand it. Um, and so when I was a teenager and ultimately I was at Anastasia, um, when ultimately, um, I had my, my personal salvation experience, you know, at, at a youth camp with, uh, from Anastasia, um, that's when I, I really kind of realized that, um, I, I, in my opinion, I was really not a Christian at that point in time, up, up until that point in time, but I had been training to be a Christian for a really long time. And so I had That's been, a good way of looking at that. I had, I had, I had been training to be a Christian for a really long time. You know, I was, um, again, my mom was kind of equipping me and putting tools in my toolbox that would serve me well later on. But until I actually made the decision myself, um, I didn't know how to use them. Yeah. I, I love that. That's such a healthy. And, and I think for, for the parents who are listening to this, I think what what a healthy picture to have of of what you're doing right now, the ways that you're pouring faith into your children. Um, you 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 can't bring, you know. I think sometimes as parents, we want to bring conviction and we we want to bring salvation to our children, um, but but just that reality that there is blessing that comes from preparing and equipping your helping your helping train your children hmm. to become faithful to God. So when the day comes when they come to that saving faith, you've you've been preparing them for that step for a long time. I, I love that. Just what a beautiful picture of, of what you experienced with your mom. Yeah. So I mean as as far as our first getting plugged in at Anastasia, you know, um, when you move, you know, over a thousand miles away from anyone that you knew um, and for my father, he was changing careers just, or, or thought that he was for a time would be changing careers based on licenses, not transfer. Um, that's a sufficient change to, to really kind of, you know, rock the boat. That's a fresh start if ever there was one. And so that's when my mom and dad, they really discussed and they were like, you know, we really need to get back into church. Um, and, and let's, you know, let's be honest. I was, like I said, I was a teenager with no friends who had been just drug across the country. I was probably, you know, um, I was carrying a little bit of anger at the world, probably, Mm -hmm. you know, not necessarily at my parents, but, um, probably wasn't a happy camper. And so maybe they thought that there might be some, you know, you know, catharsis in, in actually getting me involved in church as well. So, um, there was some of that, but, um, uh, my mom, when she puts her, you know, mind to something, she she's a force to be reckoned with. And so when she, you know, she she's probably the instigator that said we're going to church. And and my dad and I, we really didn't didn't you know protest too much. Um, but when we found the contemporary worship, my dad and I have been music lovers forever. And when we found the contemporary worship that was like, okay, church is now palatable, <laughs> you know, up until that point in time, you know, singing hymns, uh, in, in a pew, you know, wearing a suit and tie, you know, every Sunday that was just, you know, too stiff, you know, for, for my dad and I, that wasn't, it wasn't, you know, I, I can't really speak for him, but that was my, my perception was that it was just, that was not, that was not for us. Yeah. Um, but 
when we found the contemporary worship where people, you know, it was just, it was the atmosphere of come just as you are to worship. Mm. And you didn't have to, you know, put on a suit and tie. You didn't have to, you know, try to, you know, change your appearance, you know, to try to, um, you know, you didn't have to worry about being judged by the Joneses that were on the pew that, you know, down at the end, there was none of that. It was just coming and worshiping and the music was fantastic. And so we started going to Anastasia for probably a year or better, just going to, you know, the contemporary worship and then leaving. Mm. And my mom just, uh, she, she informed my dad and I that we were going to be sticking around for, uh, for Sunday school after church. Mm. And my dad, uh, said, no, we're not. And so we went to church and church was over. And, uh, my, my dad, uh, started walking towards parking lot and I was following him and my mom turned and she started walking towards the classrooms for the Sunday school. And my dad looked at me and I, I just, I can almost still remember the look on his face. It was that kind of exasperated, like, am I going to make this a big deal where this is going to turn into a fight or am I just going to say, okay, we'll see how bad this is, you know? And so he, he just basically relented. He's like, come on, boy, I guess we're going to Sunday school. And so, uh, we did. And, you know, um, I think that, uh, my mom certainly got a lot out of it. I think my dad kind of got hooked at that point. And, um, then it became a, an every Sunday thing. Like that's, that's just was part of, part of church life. Um, obviously uh, my dad and I got involved initially in actually doing, um, the tech stuff. You know, I, I got my, my start in serving at the church, um, actually serving on the tech side of things, You're running, running sound, putting slides up on, for the lyrics and things like that. So actually my, my, my real first start was doing the video. Hmm. I was initially a camera operator. Uh, and then from the camera operator, I, I did the video switching, um, and then from the video switching, um, I started doing the sound and, um, Bobby Crumb discovered that I had an ear for, for the music and an ear for sound. And then it seemed like he started requesting me to be on the sound more and more often. Um, and my dad, he, he was doing the, the lyrics and sometimes the lights. Um, so there was, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of, uh, good things came out. I mean, God was working in all of it. And you know, I look back and, you know, it, you know, so, um, we went to Anastasia, got plugged into Anastasia. Dad and I joined the tech team cause we wanted to be serving in some capacity. We thought that was something we could do. Um, and lo and behold, um, the two people or two of the people that were on the tech team that were really influential were Ralph Upton, mm-hmm. who did sound. And he really taught me a ton when it came to operating a soundboard. Um, but the other individual that was there was Kenny Krulish, hmm. who did a ton of the lights. Well, Kenny Krulish was a captain with the St. John's County Fire, Fire Department in the training division. And my father, who had, you know, 20 plus years of firefighting experience and training experience, um, there was uh, on more than one occasion where, you know, Captain Krulish from the St. John's County would say, you know, hey, Chuck, what do you think about this? And ask my dad a question. And my dad would, you know, reply. And so it became apparent to Kenny that my dad was still passionate about firefighting and that really he needed to, he needed to go back into the fire service. Mm. And so, um, at the time St. John's County needed paramedics and, uh, Kenny put in a word for my dad. And so, um, they actually put him back through fire, fire college in his, in his thirties. So in, in his, despite his, the fact that your dad had been a, he'd been a fire captain in St. Louis, yeah, right? He, he had been a captain up in, uh, at the Lee May fire department in St. Louis. 
Um, and he, you know, was hazmat certified. He was a trainer. You know, he was um, at one point he was being groomed to be a chief of the fire department. And then all of a sudden we moved to Florida and he's got nothing. Mm-hmm. You know, he was doing uh, maintenance as a handyman um, in the apartment community where we lived for a while. And um, here, he, here he was in his uh, mid to late 30s, just completely restarting fire college with, you know, 17, 18 year olds mm-hmm. that had just graduated high school. So you are serving in in this role, and God's God's using you and your dad serving this role to to really change not just your life but your dad's life and your family's life. Um, and then you go away to school and come back from college. You come back from undergraduate mm-hmm. and you start law school. And was it during your time in law school that that you and your wife got plugged in um, serving with? Uh, Jeremy Dowler and in your experience serving with the worship team at the State Route 16 campus. So when when I went to college, um, shortly before I went to college, uh, like I said, we went to on a youth a youth trip, and that's where I had my my personal salvation experience. And um, one of the the final days of that that youth camp, um, there was a call for y- those young men that felt like they were being called into ministry, and it was kind of at that moment that I felt the call in my life to to be a worship leader. And uh, although, you know, Sean uh, Onchman, my neighbor from upstairs, had taught me a few chords here and there, I was really not a proficient guitar player. Um, And I came home from that youth camp and my dad, um, you know, I told him, you know, what had happened. My dad uh, purchased for me uh, an acoustic guitar. And it was when I went to college, um, when I wasn't studying, now I had ample time that I could really focus on learning the skill of making this instrument work so that I could lead worship. And I really learned, um, how to play acoustic guitar specifically with the the mindset that I was going to learn how to lead worship. Um, and so when I came home from college, um, we went back to Anastasia and there was the state road 16 campus that was just starting up. And, uh, Jeremy Dowler, I knew, uh, believe it or not, um, when I was in high school, I was I I would play trumpet in the band for a time, and I did the marching band. And Jeremy Dowler was the trumpet section leader, marching coach. Hmm. So he was a young adult who was you know working a career, but you know two three nights a week he would come to the to the football field, St. Augustine High School, and work with the band students on perfecting their marching. And so when I came home from college, having, you know, really dedicated the time to learning how to make a guitar work and, and be able to lead worship, um, I went to the Anastasia 16 with my with my parents, and lo and behold, there's Jeremy Dowler, the guy that I know, uh, is leading the worship there. Um, and he he was just like Sean Onchman again. I mean, his face lit up. It was like, I absolutely remember you. We're going to get you plugged in, you know, basically, you know, welcome home. Let's get you, let's get you going. And Jeremy Dowler just, you know, he really took my guitar playing from being able to make these chords work to learning alternate voicings and how to play in a band um, and really have kind of an ear for what other people are doing. And, you know, when it's appropriate to lead out, when it's time that you kind of need to sit back softly in the mix. I mean, he really facilitated uh, a lot, a lot of my growth as, as a worship leader. And you led worship with him at, at that campus of Anastasia for years. Yeah, for um, I I actually was off and on for I don't even know how many years. Truthfully, uh, I know there was a good period there for probably th- 
two, three years that I was there with, with Jeremy. Um, and then Aaron and I, um, who, after we got married, we were living in Jacksonville there by the law school. We were part of a church plant up there, um, our church that had kind of replanted itself, and we were helping with the worship there. And then um, that kind of fell apart. And when that happened, then we were really looking for where we should go back. And um, I got contacted by one of the people from from State Road 16, kind of out of the blue, saying, "Hey, when are you going to come back? Because we'd really miss you." Mm-hmm. And so it was um, it was just you know God's timing there. And we went back to Anastasia, and and Jeremy, you know, welcomed me back, and we served there for another you know several you know several years. Yeah. Um, now after after law school, you and your wife, um, you 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 took took a job working in a law firm. Um, you and your wife. Uh, it had kind of moved back and forth. Um, like I said, served at 16, went and served with kind of a church startup back to 16. And then God laid it on your heart after the birth of your daughter, or, or not even after the birth of your daughter, as, as your wife was pregnant with right. your daughter, right? Um, that you really wanted to make it possible for um, your wife to stay home yep, um, and, and raise your daughter and realize that uh, the house you had just bought in Jacksonville was it just wasn't going to be possible uh, the 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 financial means were not going to provide for the needs so a number of things happen um, and you end up very very quickly yeah um, selling a home buying a home here in Putnam County end up opening up your own practice here in Putnam County and all of that happens while while your wife is is pregnant ultimately during that season you, your wife gives birth to yep. to your daughter and so all i mean your life i mean literally dramatically changed over the period of 3 months so it was it was about um i think uh i think my wife was 8 to 9 months pregnant when we really made the decision that uh we wanted her to be able to stay home with our daughter um, and fortunately, she at that point in time, she had transitioned from Bank of America to Merrill Lynch, and they had a very, a very generous kind of maternity leave, you know, kind of package that went with that. And uh, my daughter was born in May, and I opened my law firm in July. And so basically, that gives you the kind of the, the time frame there is, you know, the the month before my daughter's born, first week of May. Um, my wife, I, I distinctly remember my wife was actually, um, um, she was, she had just given birth and was at the hospital, you know, for the couple days after. And it was during that point in time, um, that she actually electronically docu-signed, um, the contract to sell our house. Um, mm-hmm. and my dad and I were the ones that were performing all of like the repairs and stuff during the home inspection to get the home ready to sell. And so, uh, that that was probably the most stressful period of time in, in my life because we went from owning a house in Jacksonville to to selling that house, buying another house, and trying to make sure that all those things were going to work out correctly, uh, timelines and financing and all of that kind of stuff. Um, also, you know, at the time I was working for a firm over in St. Augustine, I hadn't really told them or t- discussed with them the fact that I was thinking that I would, would likely be leaving when this transition happened. I didn't know how that was going to go over, but, um, but we really just had this strong conviction that this is, this is, you know, what was right for us and this is where God was leading us to go. And so we just, we just charged boldly, you know, into the night and was just hoping that it would work out. Um, and, uh, 
in, in all on the way, all these miraculous things keep in it happen. I mean, just yeah. the way all of these things kind of, I mean, if ever you were looking for affirmation or confirmation that God, this is what you're leading us to do, every door that you needed to open opened. Absolutely. In, in a very short period of time. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, and so I, I say all of that and want to talk about all of that as, as preface to there is in your life, there is the experience that, that you have gone through what should be stressful. You have gone through hectic times in your life where you had a sense of conviction that God is leading in this direction not knowing to do anything else, we're going to be obedient and trust that God's going to come through. And And you've got a faith now that can look back on how God has been faithful to carry you through these these kind of bold, what, what may seem to people almost risky decisions. And yet you can look back now and see how God has been faithful in those steps all along the way. Yeah, I think... Um there's probably, you know, um, some specificity of language that might, you know, might help, you know, with this. Um, there are periods of time in my life and that I can clearly look back on it. There was a lot of things going on, mm-hmm. but that in and of itself, just that hectic nature of thing or the chaotic nature of things that doesn't necessarily equate to the times where I was feeling the greatest stress. Yeah. And and the reason being is for me when when I'm firm in the conviction that God is calling me or directing me to go a direction, there can be a lot of stuff happening and it doesn't cause me stress because I have absolute I have just a firm belief that God's with me in it because he's not going to call me out into something that he's going to abandon me or fail me or any of those kinds of things. So there's but, a sense of peace even in the a, even absolutely. in the midst of the chaos. Absolutely a sense of peace in the midst of the chaos. The times that are the most stressful for me those are the times where you've you've stepped out, and now you're you're you know you're trying to figure out, um, God, I I know that you're faithful, but now I have to try to determine did I did I mishear you or was what did I did I want this for myself and I pushed for it rather than trying to be obedient to where I was being called, yeah. and and you know that's an, that's an easy trap to fall into, and um, so the times that you know. Um, as a, as a good example, when, when Aaron and I were buying our first house, um, the, there was this, you know, we had been looking at houses. We found, um, Aaron found our first house on, you know, through Zillow doing, you know, the things that the young couples do when they're, you know, excited about, about buying their first home. And she'd found this house and, and we looked at it and we just had this instant, you know, sense of peace, this, you know, God's direction. Yeah, this is going to be our house. Went and visited, looked at it, you know, this is going to be it. Put in our offer. Flat, flat rejection. It goes under contract because someone had come in uh, under our number and it was a cash offer. Mm-hmm. Whereas if we were, you know, FHA, you know, first time home buyers. And um, that was a stressful couple weeks in my life mm-hmm. because not that we didn't get the house. It was stressful for me because I was really concerned that I had missed or, or misinterpreted what I believed was God telling me this is going to be the house for mm-hmm. us. Ultimately, um, God was faithful and, and I hadn't missed because that cash buyer fell through and we wound up getting an even better deal on the house than we had initially thought. And so, mm-hmm. so that first house was the house for us. Um, but that, that picture to me, 
uh, it really clearly identifies the stressful times versus the chaotic times. Because for me, the stressful times are when I can't, I feel like I can't make out where God's trying to lead me next. So when you first moved to Putnam County, you you not when you first moved to Putnam County, you'd moved to Putnam County. You'd been living here for almost two years, serving essentially as the worship leader at Decoy Baptist Church, right? Um, uh, up in the Bostwick area. Yeah, um, I don't. You know, that was an interesting experience. I don't. Um, I don't honestly know, you know, like kind of what title was associated with the role, um, but the role really wasn't in it. It really wasn't a worship leader position like I see it. It was it was really more of a choir choir director, and that that situation for me that was kind of a uh, that was a trying time for me because um, going to the church, the people were were very friendly. Um, it was a good thing. It was close to, to close to our home, so it, it was a good community to be involved in. Um, some great people there. Mm-hmm. But the moment that I was asked to lead the music, I showed up the the very first Sunday. I showed up to lead the music, just as I always had, which at that time was usually like some you know dark wash jeans and, and a polo shirt. That's how I went to church on Sundays, and I showed up just like that, being me. And I was approached by like three different individuals that pulled me off to the side and told me that it was inappropriate for me to lead worship if I wasn't going to be wearing a suit and tie. Mm. And I don't believe that those comments were meant to be harsh. Mm. Um, the, the individuals that were making those comments were, were would go so far as to actually like take off their tie and offer it to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but they, they were just speaking out of their experience. Their, yeah, their their expectations. Their their expectations. But it quickly became for me a very difficult time because again, kind of going back to the Anastasia model, you know the the you know the 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 suit and tie in in the expectation that you're somehow letting down the people next to you based on the clothes that you're wearing. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that to me just didn't, it didn't, didn't, you know, it didn't sit well with me. So without, without going into, um, so, so a, a, a church full of, of well-meaning people who, who just a very different expectation of, of what this looked like. Yep. And after, um, and, and you, I mean, you, you gave it your best effort, tried, tried to, um, tried to meet expectations, tried to kind of find ways to get everyone on the same page together. How can we move forward in unity? Um, but eventually got to a point where it became so kind of demoralizing for you that ultimately you were you were kind of considering, well, hey, I can always just go back to, to yeah, Stereo 16 was, and go back to leading worship with, with Jeremy Dowler. So, you know, I, I knew that the, the door was always open with Jeremy. Um, you know, I, I kind of did a... Um, Aaron and I and Delia, we, we went, um, you know, church shopping, you know, just like somebody that was new to a community. And, and we, um, would try to look up a church and, you know, look into, you know, what their, you know, core beliefs and values were. And then we'd visit the church and see how, um, how it was. But, you know, one of the things, you know, for me was that, you know, um, worship to me is, is more than just singing songs or entertainment. Worship to me is, uh, is an active participation. It's actively commu- communicating with God through, you know, through song. So to me, it's, it was, it's critical, you know, and, um, so ultimately that, you know, we weren't really finding, we weren't really finding anything, um, that was, you know, 
you know, like the Anastasia model that, you know, that I had kind of grown up with. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, absolutely. Aaron and I had, you know, pretty much resolved ourselves that we would, we would just start, com- you know, commuting back and forth to Anastasia State Road 16. Um, and I was talking it over with my dad, um, letting him know that just, you know, kind of that's where I was at. And he said, you know, before you do that, I really think you ought to go check out Dunn's Creek. Um, uh, I think it's a little, probably a little closer of a drive for you. And, um, my understanding is that Rob Stone, the, the college pastor from Anastasia is now the, the, the senior pastor there. And, um, you know, so it was, I think we had that conversation on like a Saturday evening. Uh, and I text you that night and I was like, Hey, I think I might come check out your church tomorrow. Um, and, um, that was, that was kind of, yeah. you know, that's, you, that's when things you, really took off. You guys were there the next morning. Yep. And then me, you and Jake went out for dinner Monday night. So Saturday you had made the decision to come visit the church. And I think by Monday evening, we had talked you into joining the staff. <laughs> yes. Yes. It was, it was, it was quick, but you know, quick, quick isn't necessarily bad. Yeah. Um, it, it was, you know, it was all about, you know, seeing the the purpose and the design. And, and honestly, uh, I mean, I knew you, I feel like I knew you from Anastasia because, you know, we had been uh, amongst one another, you know, significant amount. So I wasn't concerned about, uh, about your mind or your leadership, but there were some things that I had questions about and, and um, you know, you know, they were all adequately addressed. And, and I just remember that, um, going into the service that Sunday morning, you know, just having come out of this time where, um, you know, although well-meaning, I felt like I had been kind of, you know, uh, attacked, you know, for, for, for believing in contemporary worship music. And, um, I came into Dunn's Creek and it was like me and my wife, we both just had this instant sigh of relief, like, ah, finally mm. we're home. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and, you know, Paul Poppins, mm-hmm. um, it, it, Paul Poppins right off the bat was talking to us, you know, you know, well before the service and immediately after the service, if we had any, any thoughts of, you know, of quickly, quickly leaving, um, Paul had, uh, you know, he made it, made a point to make sure that that didn't happen. You know, he, he went and, you know, got a cup of coffee for me and brought me a cup of coffee and we continued to talk even more. And it was just, um, instantly I I was like, okay, this is, this is a great, this, this is a great church environment. Uh, the worship was fantastic. Um, and, and it was just, it was just what we needed. Mm-hmm. And, you know, from then on, you know, it's just, it's just really, it's just been a, a really enjoyable time in ministry and in serving. Uh, it's been three years now. Yep. Just, just about, just about three years since, since you and your wife first came, um, it very quickly you came on our staff and, and that was a godsend. I think, um, and if, if you want to go back and, and kind of fully understand this, go back to season one and listen to my conversation with Jake Massey. Um, but Jake and I had really kind of come to the church together two years before that. And there was a lot that we had kind of tr- transitioned the church from. Um, but because the the church had called me as their pastor and, you know, and had opportunities to interview me and, and you know, they got to vote on me there you know, the, the reality is there was, there was a lot that, that I was leading us to change in the church, but because they had called me and then I had hired Jake, 
Jake became an easy scapegoat for a lot of the things. And the truth was, it was things they didn't like about my leadership. It had nothing to do with Jake, but I think Jake had, had borne the brunt of that for about two years. And I think he was just, um, uh, emotionally exhausted. And so when you came, came along, you guys immediately became an incredible partnership. You, you know, work, work well together formed an incredible team. Um, and in, in the last three years, we've seen so many big steps forward uh, in terms of, I, I'd say specifically around what the Sunday morning experience is like. And, and, and you've played such a huge role in that. But at some point, about probably a year and a half ago, you and I began having some conversations about long-term, what do you see yourself doing? And for our listeners, we, we have been talking about, and, and my heart is, um, ha- has always been that uh, a healthy church is a church planting church. And so or early on in our conversations, we began a, a dialogue around what is the timetable like for us planting churches. And so even our, even our relationship to West Edmonton Fellowship in Canada, um, that's, that's just a church planting partner we have in the same way that um, Colonial Church in St. Augustine, their first two years, they were a, we were a church planting partner with them because we just believe that, that planting churches is in the DNA of, of a healthy church. And so around some of those conversations, we began talking about, hey, it, it, if God opens up the doors for us to plant a local or regional church plant, what would you see your role being? And you and I began talking about how while you love worship ministry, you feel like God is is beginning to reveal to you that he may have more for you than that. And that really came to a head this past summer as you went, um, you and Tim Campbell, our youth pastor, uh, went with our teenagers to yep. Fuge Camp. And, um, you know, a lot of times it's the teenagers who come back, you know, with, with the <laughs> right, camp high right, and, right, and right. you know, fresh kind of fresh decisions with Jesus. And thank God for that. You know, we had, had some, some kids who made decisions for Jesus during that camp experience, and we were able to baptize some kids coming out of that camp experience. But you really came back with, with some fresh revelation from God in that camp experience. And that really was the impetus for kind of where we've gone in the last seven months. So, so for our listeners, tell us a little bit about what it was that God revealed to you. And again, the hindsight of this whole conversation, when God gives you this sense of what he wants you to do, there is, there is for you this kind of life long experience of, if I have a piece that this is what God's clearly telling me to do, if I feel like I've heard God's voice then I, I, I want to go after it in, in kind of fearlessly and headstrong into the thing God has called me into. Right. So talk, talk to us a little bit about what was it that God revealed to you, the clarity that you got from God, and then kind of what is it that God has really kind of given you, what is the vision God has birthed in you to step into this next steps pastor role? So, um, well, honestly, it had even started... Um, the process had started beforehand, you know, um, I think looking back at my life, as we've discussed some here today, um, I believe that an individual will never feel more, you know, content or fulfilled, 
Um, uh, some people might call that happy, although um, you can have difficult things going on and still be content and fulfilled. You know, it's not necessarily like a, a joyful, um, you know, kind of, you know, happy feeling. But um, I, I believe that a person will never be more content or more fulfilled than when they are living uh, in accordance with God's will for their life. Yeah. Um, and so for, for me, um, I, I also believe that the inverse is also true. I believe that there are some times where we can, we can push for things that we want ourselves that, you know, is not the best for us. Um, and, and those are the times where in my life, I, I feel like, um, I've seen, where you're, you're not the content, you're not the fulfilled. And, you know, you, you, that's when you're, you're trying to figure out why things don't seem to work. Everything is going against the grain. And, um, so for me, um, it started before camp, you know, I had, you know, we had had some discussions about, you know, about long-term, you know, what, you know, what my role might look like or, or, you know, what God might be, you know, wanting for me to do in kind of church leadership. Um, and we had talked about, um, you know, my, my pursuing, you know, becoming a pastor. Um, but in the, the discussion of it, I, I wanted to be very cautious mm-hmm. whenever I commit, when I believe that I have the firm conviction that God's calling me to go somewhere, you're absolutely right. Headstrong is, is, uh, that's a delicate way of putting it, but <laughs> I charge full steam ahead, you know, and, and, you know, um, no worries about the consequences. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, by the same token, I am also I try to be very cautious about discerning when when those times versus when they're just my own wants. You you want so, to be fearless but not foolish. Exactly, and and so it, it was you know it started you know months before um, the youth went to camp. You know, really, is this something that that I just am wanting for for some you know selfish personal reason? I don't know. I want to be cautious. I don't want this to be just another thing that I do. I don't want this to be uh, another another skill or hobby that I'm, I'm committing myself to committing those 20 hours of research to, you know, to be reasonably proficient at. Um, I didn't want that. Um, I wanted to make sure that this was a calling that God was calling me to do and that, um, it was at the camp that I came back with a firm conviction that, um, you know, God had really just, you know, placed on my heart, like, no, 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 I've called you for a purpose and you're not moving forward. Mm. And it was very much the, you know, um, I told you to get ready kind of a, kind of a situation. You know, I, I told you, you need to be making, making steps to get ready. And, um, so I didn't, I didn't know what that looks like. Um, I still don't know what that looks like long-term, but I, I believe that, um, I believe that we're on the precipice of something that's going to be really awesome. And I believe that God's going to be doing, um, you know, a major work. And I believe that God was calling me to, to get ready. And, um, so that's where I came back with that, you know, that conviction, like, okay, we need to get, we need to get started. You know, what does ordination look like? What do I need to do? Mm -hmm. Um, who do I need to talk to? You know, what do I need to learn? What does it look like to be a pastor? You know, we really started, you know, kind of really diving deep into some of those discussions. Mm Um, and, and so, uh, currently that's, that's, you know, functioning as, uh, the next steps pastor at Dunn's Creek. And, um, that has been really fulfilling so far. Um, it's just the, the idea that maybe because of all of the, the, the hobbies that I've collected throughout the years, um, 
I, I feel like I can kind of relate to people mm-hmm. um, when, you know, w- get them interested, figure out what they're interested in, and then and then show them things in the church and ways that they can be using those things in church. And so I, I really see my role is not necessarily being like um, like a greeter on Sunday morning that is just a smiling face that has the, you know, hi, how are you doing? Good to have you with us. Mm-hmm. Um, I really feel like my, my role is the next step mm-hmm. um, to say, you know, hey, um, this is our community of faith. This is our family. Um, we really want you to feel welcome here. Um, we believe that that you will get out of church what you put into church. Mm. And serving doesn't have to be something that's miserable. There, there are there are gifts and talents that God has uniquely equipped people with for specific tasks in ministry. And so I, I have the the fun task of trying to, uh, um, you know meeting with these people and finding out their interests and their skills and then and then trying to get them plugged in mm-hmm. in a way that's both fulfilling for them and also it's furthering, you know, kingdom goals. We are now this is February as we're recording this. Um we're getting ready for the second round of next step classes, which is a, a curriculum that you've developed and put together. And and I think you and I both I mean, you were you were just at the beginning of this year stepping into this pastoral role, and and so I think there was a lot for both of us of you stepping into this role and thinking, okay, here's this brand new this brand new program, this brand new curriculum that we've developed, and and the goal is clear that we want to see people get further integrated into the life of the church, not not just hey getting to know more people, but but the holistic person becoming fully integrated into the body of right. of the community of faith. And I, I think we approached the first one we did right out of the gate in January, kind of going, well, let this this will be our test balloon. Right. And very quickly, um, I'd say probably the first week, um, you you and I got to see the the response. And so it's been so um, it's been so rewarding, I think, for both of us to see, how God has, has not only clearly kind of called you into this role, but how God is immediately taking your yes and, wa- and watching what God will do with your yes. God is taking your yes, your willingness, your obedience to step into this new thing, and, and God's just demonstrating his faithfulness with it already. And, and so what, what I want you to do is, is kind of we, we close our, our conversation is... For the person who's listening to this episode, who is is connected into the life of Duns Creek, or maybe someone who that you know, hey, they're 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 at home watching us online faithfully every Sunday morning, but they're 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 not really a part of this family, this body, this community of faith. Um, what would your challenge be? What is it that you would say to the person who they? They want, they know that there's something more for them and they don't know what it is yet. And what, what you believe it is, is it is a deeper integration into this family of God that they've been saved into. So what would, what would you say to that person? Oh, man. The, um, I think one of the, th- I'll be honest, the, the first week that we had, um, the first 
you know, round of the next steps class. Um, the beginning of the year, as you know, is, is always kind of a, a hectic time because we're getting ready to roll out, you know, the, the next year's theme, the next year's um, stage redesign, new sound, uh, new songs uh, on Sunday morning. So there's there's all these things that are um, changing uh, around that time, and so it becomes. Um, I, I, in my opinion, I was afraid that maybe we hadn't really promoted the next steps class that well for the first one. And in, in my, by my approximation, I, I really saw that, that God was like, no, no, I'm in it right from the beginning because, yeah. um, that first Sunday I was expecting the first, honestly, the first round I was expecting maybe three or four people and we wound up having like 11, mm-hmm. um, and, um, then I was after the first week, I was like, okay, well, that's great. We had a great first week. Um, but I expect that, you know, by, you know, we're going to, I hope they come back. And, and I was really, uh, pleasantly surprised at, at how many people that were there the first week and stayed there for the next, you know, the next couple weeks. Um, one of the things that, uh, I believe is important is that, uh, there is a difference between, watching a speaker on TV uh, or watching uh, a service online and being a part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, both, I mean, you can learn things, uh, kind of goes back to where we started off, is you can, you, can, you can learn those things with the head knowledge from watching something online and, and listening to a teacher articulate a, a point, a fine point of scripture and, and relaying, uh, you know, analogy. Um, but I absolutely believe that there's there's a powerful thing that happens whenever you're physically present in the room with all of the other people and we're all uh, surrounded around opening God's word. Yeah. And so, it, you know, my, my encouragement would be if, um, you know, obviously we believe in, in streaming the services at Duns Creek. Absolutely. I think that's, that's uh, vital. You know, there are people that, that can't make it. Um, but if you can make it, um, I would really encourage people to actually come to the service and be there. Uh, it gives us the ability to get to know them, them to know us. And that's where those, you know, the, the church family connections actually start. It's, it's no longer just a, a building church. It's a family church. And the, um, I think one of the things that I'm most excited about is just that we, in the Next Steps class, um, we get to spend so much time as kind of the church representatives getting to know the people that are there. Yeah. And, and I think that's, um, I think that's the way that it should be. I, I don't want church to be an event or an entertainment or something where someone's coming and then they leave and there's no connection between them. Uh, I want the people that are coming to know that, that they're loved by God mm-hmm. and you know, we're imperfect people but we're going to do the best we can to, to follow Christ ourselves. And, and we want to get to know them and we want to get interconnected with them and plugged in with them. Um, and, and, and really get to know them. Um, you know, the, I think there's, you know, I think more and more in the age of kind of social media, uh, especially for people my age, it, it becomes very difficult to have real friends mm when you have social media friends. 
I have a thousand friends on Facebook and none of them would help me move kind of thing. Like exactly, yeah. exactly, exactly. Yeah. You know, you know, the real friends and family are the people that they don't want to help you move, but they're going to show up, you know, anyway. Yeah. And, um, because they care about you. You know, that's the kind of, you know, commitment to one another that I see coming out of, you know, the next steps. Um, and, and really, you know, next steps is, you know, plugs right into, you know, small groups and getting people involved in that. Um, so I would encourage anybody that's, you know, even if they've been coming to Duns Creek for a while, but if they don't have a, a life group or a small group that they're attending, um, come talk to me or, or, or come to the next steps class. You know, we have one this week, March 3rd, you know, that's coming up. Um, we start the second round. Um, and that's the whole idea is to, is to grow together as much as we may grow in size. Yeah, absolutely. I love it. Well, Zach, thank you so much for uh, your role. Thank you so much for all that you've stepped into this year and for being with us today, uh, giving us a chance to kind of hear your story and hear more from you. Uh, and for our listeners, thank you so much for listening. Uh, this episode's actually going to go up on March 4th. So if you are, uh, if you're listening to this, you missed the first round of Next Step classes, um, but we got a brand new set starting up in May, um, and, and it's going to be a really exciting opportunity for you. Also, uh, Zach is going to be preaching this weekend, so uh, today you're hearing us interview him on Duns Creek Conversations tomorrow morning on the Duns Creek Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. You're going to be able to hear the audio from his sermon on Sunday as he continues through our sermon series called to serve. So we love you. God bless you. And we will see you next Monday.